Kia everybody, what's up? It is Rebet. Uh, welcome to the show again. And we are very, very fortunate to have uh, the Bro Sam Stubbs CEO, uh, Simpl- uh, Simplicity. How are you, my friend? Hey, g'day. Um, I don't know much about the money stuff. You know a lot about the money stuff. <laughs> I thought this would be a, yeah. a, a great chance to talk about it. Um, yeah. First of all, how are you, man? Are you Yeah, really good. Really good. Where you at? What's yeah. your deal? You, got, you, you set up you got in, yeah, in the pad? Yeah, I'm in Auckland, so we run an online business, so... We've been running from home for two weeks now, so it feels feels pretty normal to us. Uh, not that much has changed, but you know, for some people it'll be pretty, well. Clearly, for a lot of people, it's terrible. Yeah, um, I guess uh, we'll start the macro. What does yeah. this mean for New Zealand, actually? Well, no one knows, and the reason that no one knows is that no one's really come across this situation before. But I've got to tell you, I'm more optimistic than most. I mean, when you ask economists um, their view on this, you know, the line that I was reminded of is economists have predicted 11 of the last three recessions, right? (laughs) So they are always, always super pessimistic. Uh, The sky is always falling in. And that's because it's very different and it's very unusual. So just saying, hey, listen, it's going to be okay is kind of boring. It's not good for their franchise, doesn't get them on TV. And I know that sounds a little bit cynical, but there's an element of that, right? They get their day in the sun right now. And also, as occupationally, they're, they're, they're pretty bearish generally. They're not, nat- not natural optimists. So what does it mean? Well, let's contrast this with, let's say, the Great Depression, which is the last yep. time you had maybe something of this magnitude or is the global financial crisis. Was it, what was yeah. the Great Depression? 27, yeah. yeah. Well, tw- 29 was the big year. So what happened then, right? Huge problems. Just let's just say shit falling from the sky. So what happened was back in those days, the governments and the Reserve Bank said, oh, I know what we do when this happens. We go into an austerity program. We save our cash. Everybody should save their cash. And we're going to close our borders to trade, not to people to trade, because we'll start buying stuff in-house. And that was absolutely disastrous that took it from being a recession into a depression for a couple of reasons first of all is if you think like you're a business or just a just an ordinary person going using an f-post what you need to do is you need to make sure that you can get money by selling stuff and you can get stuff by buying it right you need the money to flow around right you can't have it locked up and everyone holding on to it and say i'm not giving you my dough right so in the Great Depression, what they did was they said, no, everyone hold on to their money. And what that meant is that no business got done, no commerce got done. So you had huge unemployment rates up around sort of 30%. And no then everyone went into depression. No money was circulating, right? People weren't getting paid. People wouldn't, they wouldn't sell your stuff because they didn't know that they were going to get the money. They didn't know whether the banks were going to survive, right? So you've got to make sure the money flows around. So how do you do that? You do two things. First of all is you go to the banks and you say, okay, if you need to do any transactions, we, the government, will stand behind you or the Reserve Bank. Let's call it the same thing. It doesn't really matter. We'll stand behind you. Anything you want to sell, we'll buy. Anything you want to buy, we'll sell. And and this is in terms of fixed interest and currencies and all this sort of stuff. That means that the banks will keep the FPOS machines open, carry on lending money to, to businesses, carry on taking deposits, all that stuff that banks do that gives us all confidence that we can carry on doing business and doing our jobs. So that's the first thing they do, right? Is they say, okay, 
nothing is going to shut down. That's really super important because for business confidence, if you think that the money's going to run out, you get really scared, right? Bank runs. So that's the first thing. Second thing they do is they're just going to helicopter a whole lot of money into the economy. So that's what this government had done. They said, we're giving wage subsidies. We're making new business loans. We're going to put tens of billions of dollars in the economy. And it's sort of like the modern, it's the electronic equivalent of literally getting a helicopter and throwing money out the helicopter into the economy. That just yep. puts money in everybody's pockets the so they can go and spend, pay the mortgage. Yeah, all that, all that good, all that good shit that goes on every day that you just take for granted, right? So they've done those two things. Make sure the banks stay open. Make sure that you can buy and sell stuff through the banks and give people money. So that's what's been happening at the macro level. That is, by the way, exactly what they didn't do in the Great Depression. And that's why actually I'm pretty confident that we're going to come out of this. We're, we're going to be okay. Now, the mm. problem is we don't know how long that will take and how severe it will be. But the government and the Reserve Bank have thrown the kitchen sink at this. They've realized the severity of it. And they said, okay, we're going to go hard and go fast. Yeah, And, and that's and exactly what they've done. Yeah, because I was going to ask you on that, that with the stimulus package that came out and the, and the way they did it, it feels that it was really fast and super mm. um, confident about how they did it. It was almost like there was no yeah. – everyone was still uh, watching the news and starting to get a bit scared and the momentum was starting to build and it was just sort of almost just came back down. It was like, all right, boom, through the hammer. And then it seemed there was just like this kind of maybe a bit of an emotional calm that sort of came after it. Yeah. I imagine a lot of other – Governments and countries, if they didn't do that, if you just look at what happened, everyone gets tense, everyone contracts in, starts getting stressful. I mean, obviously, even with that, we still saw some panic buying and sort of Muppet shit. But net, net, you you think they've done a good job? Like, do you think it was enough oh. money they put through? You think the timing? Like, how do you think the approach has been? Who, 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 I mean, who knows whether it'll be enough? But we know it's a hell of a lot, right? And this is like the equivalent. I mean. Rebecca, you know boxing. I don't know boxing, right? This is the equivalent of like getting into the bloody ring and Mike Tyson's in one corner, right? That's the problem. And what are you going to do? You better put your best bloody player in, right? Because if you put a weakling in there, you're just going to run away and then the, yeah. it's game over, right? So they have used the most powerful tools they can uh, and they've used them super quick and super mm. large and that means the chances of us coming out of this faster are a lot higher when that happens because let, let me use I mean, let me just give you an example right now. Let's say no one did anything and we started laying off a whole lot of people, right? Yeah. A whole lot of people are unemployed. Let's say in a month's time, the government says, okay, it's back to business. As a business owner, you think, oh, shit, I've got to go and hire all those people again now. Yeah. Makes it right? awkward. I, I've got to do all this. It takes me another month, another six yep. weeks to find these people. So, that, so the whole the whole recovery slows down, right? Everyone's just doing the wrong stuff. So, so by 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 doing that, the chances of us coming out of this faster uh, and, and and stronger will be higher. Now, what's the price we pay for that? The price we pay for that is that we're going to probably be paying higher taxes over the long term. You know, you've got to pay for all this money. You can't yeah. just invent it out of thin air, right? So. But if everyone pays a little bit over a long period of time, that's going to make it a lot less painful mm. than a whole lot of people getting made unemployed right now. So do you think they they, they obviously planned this, the stimulus budgets out to a point where they know that, because it's the classic, right? It takes you, um, costs you more mm. to, to find the staff, onboard them, all the rest of it, opposed to just, let's just keep them paid, let's jump back in, and then that lag is going to actually be better for us. I'm, I'm sure they would have worked this all well, out. Well, <laughs> listen... The, the, the government had an oh shit moment, right, about two weeks ago. I mean, I was 
meeting with several senior cabinet ministers when this was first rumoured about anyone said, no, it's not that. But I said, listen, it's not going to be that big a deal. Within a week, it turned into a really huge deal, right? So when you have that oh shit moment, no one's prepared for that. The best thing that you can do, even if you are the prime minister, the best thing you can do is buy time, right? So what you do is you just make sure that stuff doesn't collapse and fall apart. And that's why they helicoptered in all this money. Then they've got to sit down and say, okay, what now? And they're in that what now moment now. Hmm. They're probably sitting around tables working out what is the long-term implications. Bearing in mind that they still have no idea, right? Not really. I mean, when are the borders going to open? I don't know. Do they have, I mean, I don't know how the whole banking world works, but does the does the government have real-time visibility on money circulation in the economy in different sectors? It does, yeah. The, huh. the, 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 the Reserve Bank has pretty pretty accurate data, but it's not live-time. The best data you've got is from FPOS, the FPOS payment network, right? So the Reserve, the Reserve Bank and everyone can see how much money is being spent by people. But right now, of course, we know that, there ain't many TFBOS terminals working out there, right? Yeah. So the issue is, and here's the problem with this one, Robert. Normally, with these crises, they're caused by the finance industry. Like idiots like me cause the problem, right? And the when we you. cause not the, the problem, they the are me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but we're we're responsible for the big ass shit, right? The global financial crisis, the Asian financial crisis, all this stuff. It's caused by bankers, caused by the finance industry. Those are really big problems because. They involve the, you know, almost like the heart, the lungs and the veins of the economy, the movement of money. And when banks mm. go bust and all that, it's very expensive. Here's the problem with this one, mate. This is a medical issue, right? Yeah. We don't know. We have no idea. So it's nothing that the banks or the finance industry have done wrong this time. The problem with that, with, with it being a medical issue is we just don't know what mm. how, how this works. So all that planning they're doing right now in the beehive must be many different scenarios Yep. And they're just going to have to prepare for many different possible outcomes here. I'm pretty confident of one thing, and that is in 12 months' time, we're going to look back on this. We'll probably have access to a vaccine. Certainly, mm. the, if it's like any other virus, it would have swept through and we would have adjusted to whatever this new normal is. And things will be, I think, much closer to normal than most people think right now. You know, oh. I worked through, I was in Hong Kong during the SARS crisis. I worked right through it had my family there the whole time. And these things are incredibly emotional right now. And you look at an expert and an expert stands up and experts are, there's no professional upside in being an optimist. Most experts are going to be pessimists right now, right? So, But people take their word. They listen to them, right? These people influence how people behave. I was going to ask about that. The media, yeah. the that whole thing, and that's one of the things I've been kind of getting a little bit pissed on is because that first rewind back two weeks, it was just <clears throat> pandemonium, distress, blah blah. It yeah. was just crazy. It almost felt like it was irresponsible journalism, just the sheer wave of clickbait bullshit that was yeah. just driving. Yeah. And it, you could feel it. And I was like, hey, you are genuinely freaking people out right now. And I kind of felt, at what point is who's who's don't they have a better like service to the people then then to, to, hmm. to do some of that stuff. You know, I kind of, I, I said it maybe last week or so, I, I really never realized the true power of media until I saw the yeah. physical real world reactions within hours after content was created by a couple of, you know, I, I won't say Muppets, but maybe you're probably right, more of the pessimistic sort of side of fear mongering clickbait bullshit. It was it quite, well, 
it, yeah, it was I mean, disheartening for a little bit. I wanted it to yeah, turn. I it, think it's it, turning, but yeah. Yeah, it is. But, Robert, don't hold the media to a higher moral standard than the population, right? They produce the, the, they produce the headlines that they know will be read, and their job is to get people to read, right? So they're yeah. a business. These are businesses. Now, if you looked at the way that Radio New Zealand or TVNZ reported that, that was a little bit more moderate, right? Yeah. But on one hand, we can be really pissed off with the Herald for putting that pandemonium headline, which I thought was poorly judged, and I think they would admit it was poorly judged at the time. But the underlying motivation, shit, this will sell papers. It's the business they're in, right? So the yeah. media have got this eternal conflict between being the, you know, um, objectively reporting the circumstances versus getting people to read it versus their com competitors. So the, but if you look at the professionals, you know, here's the interesting thing about it, right? We have this, there's this thing, there's this um, thing called the recency heuristic. Sounds a fancy one. What it means is that we tend to emotionally attach ourselves to what we've most recently heard, right? Huh. So that it, it, if you hear bad news, you will believe that it's the truth because it's the last thing you've heard, not the best yeah. thing you've heard or, or whatever. So when everyone is saying it's bad, it's bad, it's bad, the sky's falling in, you have a huge emotional attachment to that. You want to believe that because that's what everyone else is believing. There's there's some various other um, psychological things at play here as well. You definitely want to be in the crowd. You don't want to be an outlier, right? That's why lemmings jump over the cliff altogether because they just want to be in a crowd, right? The crowd's the safe place to be. But anyway, but you so you, you have this thing called this 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 recency bias or recency heuristic. So. What that means is that is that if you're a professional and every other professional is saying this is bad, you are absolutely not going to make yourself stick up by saying, I don't actually don't think this is bad. I don't I don't believe this. I think this is yeah. this is okay. And also think about the consequences of saying that and being ostracized. If you join the crowd, no one is ever going to hold you to account for that afterwards because no yeah. one will ever know what the alternative was. Who knows what would have happened had we left the borders open? All we know is the professionals would have said it was worse. So everyone, there's a huge, and also because we're spending taxpayers' dollars, there's a huge incentive to just say, well, the government will pay for it. So where is the professional upside to anyone saying, actually, I don't think this is so bad, or I think we should approach this differently or whatever? Now, that's going to come out, uh, I think, in the next two more weeks of lockdown, unless we have a significant uptick in deaths, and I think there's going to be some problems. I, yeah. I think people can start to say, is this worth it? Then they'll start to question whether or not those those moves were the right ones. Mm. It's, yeah, it's just the interesting dynamics because you've got um, yeah, <coughs> medically led and then you've got the finan financial backbone that has to almost play defense on the entire thing. And then there's just so many different moving variables yeah. across. Like yeah. I was just reading before, there's all these tourists trying to bail. They legally can't sell any shit because it's not essential items. And, and the, the airport's worried that they're going to just have hundreds of cars just like left at the airport. So it's kind of these these all these different little flow-on effects. Um, yeah. We had a question come through. Uh, Steve Chadwick. Oh, Stevie, uh, the mayor from Rotorua. G'day, Steve. Steve's a legend. She said, uh, should councils invest uh, to our debt ceiling to get stuff moving? Hmm, it's a good question. Look, I don't know. It, I mean, it, it because it depends, Steve, very much on your council's circumstances. Who knows what the debt ceiling is because there are mandated debt ceilings uh, there, but that mandate could easily change as well. I suspect that most councils will end up significantly more in debt in the future than they are now. A lot of that money will be spent on very good things, of course. 
But in terms of getting liquidity going and keeping jobs going, yeah, look, that, I have a very simple view on this. The last thing you must do is is cut jobs because nothing fuels a recession like unemployment. And this could be a fairly short-lived thing, in which case we could have you know significantly upset people's lives and you would have saved almost nothing mm. uh, in, in, in that regard. So I think that, and, and I'm actually disappointed in some of the announcements that I've been hearing, some official, some unofficial, about the layoffs that people are doing, because a lot of layoffs happen because people think they're satisfying their masters or their shareholders or whatever in doing that. They're making themselves look good. Uh, actually, I think it's it should be the absolute last resort. There are plenty of other things. We've sent a message out, by the way, where shareholders and 49 of New Zealand's largest companies, we sent the message out saying, um, we don't care if you make no money or less money in the next six months, but do not let jobs go. Because as an investor, uh, this is going to be bad for your company. If you let people go quickly without doing other stuff, not only are you not going to save very much money and you're going to end up rehiring the people you've fired in a panic, it sends an incredibly bad message about the culture and your workplace to the employees if they were the first on the block, not the last on the block. And unless you as a CEO and the directors have taken a substantial pay cut before you fire the first person, that sets a very bad cultural example as well. And you know what? If you want to build an enduring great company, these things really matter. People will remember how you behaved in the bad times, not in the good times. And and um, most companies can afford to keep people on. There are some very smaller companies, but most big companies, they can afford to keep people on. It's good advice, man. Um, Clinton also just jumped in and said the exact same. Clinton, great advice. Um, pretty cool. You got mayors of New Zealand dropping <laughs> in to say what up. They obviously yeah, cool. Uh, Steve, is, Steve is a champ. Um, so, such as your reach, Robert. <laughs> no, nah, just she. She keeps it real. Good, good friends. Um, Misty says we just got a message from our CEO saying people before profit. We've got your back. Amazing leadership. And she's from Polo cool. Alto Networks. Good shit, Misty. Very cool. Yeah, I think you're right Very though, because cool. it changes the um, it sets the tone of when it's like, oh yeah, remember that time it all turned to shit, and yes, yeah, cool, bro. Like, and then that, that whole flow-on effect with these plant these little seeds of like doubt and distrust, and 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 that that can cost a business so much, and it almost feels like, yeah, oh. that can be a that can be a tough thing. Well, you know, it, it's the same it's the same in bad times as good times. If you think about what makes a great company, there are only three things. The first is the idea. Well, you know, I've got one of these smartphones as well. The ideas are everywhere. There are no new ideas. I know that's a pretty bold statement, but I don't think there are very few. Maybe in, in raw science there are. Second one is money. Well, money's tight right now, but money is in abundance for people that have got really good ideas. The third characteristic is people. And always the hardest to find. And that's why, you know, diversity makes sense financially. You draw from the deepest and broadest well that you can of talent. But also in tough times like this, you let go of your people. doesn't matter if you think you're letting go of the worst people. The best people will notice that. And when they get an opportunity later on, they'll leave. And because you didn't create the company that they want to belong in. And, you know, your generation, Robert, it's not old guys like me, but guys like you, work for things other than just short-term financial incentives yeah you know your whole generation cares about the company and the world you live in in a way that we never did when i was in your position i just want to make as much money as possible that's what it was all about so you'll lose your best people if you fire people now even though you think you're keeping your best people it it, it doesn't work like that anymore yeah people are smarter mm -hmm. yeah 
Um, uh, David Bassett uh, says, uh, good to hear the long-term investor perspective um, rather than focus on uh, short-termism. Short yeah, very. Yeah. Very well, fair. you know, th this is actually really good. If you want to talk about the silver lining, here's the silver lining. The silver lining is that KiwiSaver funds, KiwiSaver will have $200 billion by 2030. It's already at about $55 billion now. That money, I think, is going to end up a lot more invested in New Zealand as a consequence of all this because hmm. the government is going to need our money to build the next generation of schools, hospitals, roads, sewers, stormwater, whatever you want. And the great thing about it, uh, Rebet, is that we have this money. It comes in every week. It's really reliable. It's very large ticket stuff. But here's the really interesting thing. Every one of our investors is a New Zealander. Hmm. So in the old days when you wanted to get you know, a private public partnership or get a private investor in, you're always scared about foreigners owning our assets, right? Well, if KiwiSaver ends up owning it, it's only New Zealanders. We're just investing in the hood, man. That's all we're yeah. doing. And okay. that is going to be politically very acceptable. Totally, Previously, yeah. the government thought, thought we'll own it. We'll just borrow the money because we can borrow it cheaper. That, I think that game's over now. Government's going to have to come to KiwiSaver providers and we'll be very willing to say, hey, listen, you know what? You know what? From our members' point of view, would I like to own a hospital? Absolutely, I would. Mm. I'll just rent it to the DHB. Just want to make about 3% a year, which is more than we would make in the bank, but we're not greedy. And we'll, own that. we'll build that hospital and we'll own mm. it. Totally it's, cool. Because yeah, you had a, it's almost like a, from a, a Kiwi um, simplicity perspective, you hit that tipping point. I think it was maybe last year or the year before when you pulled the pin on, you know, tobacco and guns and all, yeah. all these other, It was a very, it was a firm stance on kind of like the ethics and, and morals of where you thought New Zealanders' money should go. You're basically yeah. saying at the end of this, it's going to be, I guess, tripling down on, 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 backing local and New Zealand for, for New Zealanders, right? And it's almost going to amplify, almost like the goodwill and the, of course, that makes sense for to, us to do it for our, for our own, right? Yeah. And look, it just makes sense, right? If you're a New Zealander, you invest in KiwiSaver, every single time we ask our members, they want more of their money in New Zealand, not less, right? Mm. And so if you walk on the street and you think, you know what, I own part of this road, stormwater yeah. I own part of, the hospital I own part of, why not? Why not? Yeah. I mean, it's a really beautiful story. And also, let me give you an example, too. Let me say we owned this hospital and it was paying us a 3% return a year. Well, the markets have just crashed. We're still getting 3%. Hmm. So, you know, from our point of view as an investor, having a 100-year asset like a, like a hospital returning a nice steady return, that's fantastic business for us as well. So KiwiSaver members win. Government wins because it gets to fund this stuff with domestic money. The only people that lose are probably the banks who might otherwise lend to a private developer to build these things. So, you know, it, it's, 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 um, you know, that, 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 that's the silver lining. The silver lining here is that New Zealanders end up owning a whole lot of New Zealand and not only are they using these things, they're also benefiting from them. Oh, sorry. They're, yeah. they're also making, a, making enough money from them. And then when they see it, they can see it, feel it, touch it. It becomes more real. Yeah. It's more tangible. It's more like this Absolutely. is ours, you know? Yeah. Absolutely. And I think that, that psyche, obviously, we get the, the right marketing and brand around it. That makes sense. How big is the how big is the Simplicity Fund now? We're about $1.5 billion. Jeez. So we're running, so like about, running about three years. Nine months. Yeah, it's, it's growing like crazy. Yeah, growing like crazy. So, so in about 40,000 40, members. But, you know, we're a non-profit and – charge the lowest fees and invest ethically and give 15% of our fees to charity and all this. So there's a lot of goodness there. And I think, mm. you know, people talk about us and we spend nothing on marketing. It's all word of mouth stuff, but um, it's, um, 
but you know we we see a huge opportunity in investing in things that New Zealanders want and would really appreciate it. I'll give you another example, rental housing. Yep. You know, think about the craziness of New Zealand at the moment. You've got landlords who have short-term rents getting the most amount of money. Totally understand that. It's, a, it's an economic asset for them. But you've got people who are having to move every one, two, three years, paying high rents, can't save for their first house. And there's nowhere in New Zealand where you can go and get a truly long-term rent. You know, a 10-year rental contract doesn't, a lifetime rental contract doesn't exist. But you know, man, you've been to Germany, France, Scandinavian countries, they have these things. You can actually rent a house for your entire life. You don't have to own it. And the person who owns that house is usually a pension fund. So in Mm. Germany, for example, I think it's 10% of all pension funds has to be invested in long-term rental housing. So why doesn't Simplicity go and build really high-quality housing, rent it out at a reasonable rent? Once again, we only want 3% from this. And we say to somebody, you have right of occupation. Just like when you go to Ryman Healthcare and do it for your parents, where you say, you don't own this, but you have a right to occupy this for the rest of your life. So you'll treat it like your home. Yeah, yeah and, exp- and, and it, it builds it into their whole ecosystem of see it, feel like touch it, that they own it, and their investment into their theirs. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you build whole villages that mm. way. You build, you know, I'd like us to own thousands and thousands of these things. Um, and, 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 and so you create a whole new rental class, of a whole new class of housing here, and mm. you can get people who can rent them at much, much lower rents and save for their first home. Or they can stay there forever if they want to. You know, so uh, so there you go. Yeah. No, what once again, not a new idea. Just it this exists all over the world, just not here in New Zealand. And it hasn't existed in New Zealand because you've needed very large investors like ourselves to be able to take a very long term view yeah. on getting a long term fair return and doing an awful lot of good for the country as well. And I think that's gonna happen. I think, you know, once again it's it's is the government going to be able to afford, afford to build m- more or fewer houses as a consequence of this? Fewer. How are we going to fill the gap? Where's the money? KiwiSaver. No. Yeah, Simple, it's almost really. like it's it's crazy. You've got a um, it's almost like yeah, a, a one point five billion dollar startup. You can take risks and be a bit braver and, and move a bit yeah. faster. You know, like it's it's quite it's quite mm. must feel quite empowering. Well, well, th- think about it this way, right? By twenty thirty, that's only ten years away. KiwiSaver will be 200 billion. We think we'll have about 10% market share. Means we'll have $20 billion to invest. $20,000 million. Think what you can do with that amount of money. You can literally own hospitals, schools, towns, communities. Yeah. <laughs> communities, yeah. And Stevie Frodo is up for sale. I love that spot. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, Steve. Um, you would you would not want to sell for the price I'm prepared to pay right now, Steve. But maybe we'll talk in the future, mate. Um, uh, Justin says, uh, "Cut the flow of whiskey, and Rebecca will be gone burgers." Classic. Um, there's a question here. Um, oh, you, you got some props, and you're a social uh, you're a social prophet, Sam, from Bray Clark. Props, Sam. Uh, what is your advice from your immense experience to a young guy first year teacher coming from a family that does not know about the world of investments shares mm-hmm. who has just inherited an amount of money what should he do it's a great it's well, a great question it's a great question well there's only one thing you do go and get some advice 
and get it from a person who's not char who doesn't get paid commissions, who's just charging you a fee. So think about them like a lawyer or an accountant. You go and you pay them per hour to get their advice. If you want to get, I mean, we can give you a list. We don't pay anybody, any advisor, any, anything. We have no incentives, but we're very happy to hand out the names of truly independent advisors. That's the first thing I do because I, I don't understand anything about your circumstances. So, and it's very personal. The only other thing I'd say about investments generally is, man, look, there are two, two free gifts in money, two free gifts in investing. The first one is diversification. Just spread it around, man. Don't do not concentrate it in one thing. And the second thing is that there's this thing called dollar cost averaging, or well, actually, three things really. One's called dollar cost averaging, which means that if you carry on spent investing the same amount of money when the markets go up and down, you actually buy more when they're down. And so you the dollar cost averaging means the average cost of your investments is lower because you've invested the same money over a number of periods of time. But the third really powerful one is compounding interest. Einstein called it the eighth wonder of the world. And you just won't believe what having money invested over a long period of time does. It just grows. I think I'll give you an example. If you saved a dollar a day from the day you were born, if your parents set up a savings account and put a dollar a day in, how much do you reckon you'd have by the time you were 65? One dollar per day. 2.1 million. Ooh, uh, <laughs> no, you're an optimist, mate. But you would have <laughs> you would have something between two and three hundred thousand dollars. Oh, I think. No, you think about that. Three hundred and sixty-five dollars a year for sixty-five years. Oh, yeah, yeah. The power of compounding interest, right? So, 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 so that would be what you would have actually put in. Is um, I'll just do the numbers here right now. So let's say you put in a dollar a day. What you would have put in is, uh, let me give this, um, so 365 times is 65. You would have put in $23,000, $23,725. It'd be worth two to 300,000. So 10X that. You would have 10X'd your money and done nothing. You just stuck that in a normal, boring, balanced KiwiSaver account. That's a, that's and, a patience thing, right? That's what people don't, mm -hmm. people don't have. They, they don't have that long-term view. Well, it's patience and it's also it's also compounding interest because, mm -hmm. you know, every single bit of interest stays there and that earns a little bit more and then that little bit earns another bit more. But the other one is that, you remember I told that dollar cost averaging? People yep. who've got are saving a regular amount of KiwiSaver now, they're buying the same shares they bought a month ago on sale. Yep. They're all on sale, right? So they're just buying more of them for the same amount of money. So when they go back up again, they'll be worth even more. Yep. So, um, so, so it's you know it it all of these things massively work in your favour. They all cost you no more, and you do get rich that way. I'll give you an example: the world's third or fourth richest guy uh, um, called Warren Buffett, most successful investor ever. He basically did this challenge. Uh, in 2007, just before the global financial crisis, he bet any hedge fund manager in the world, he said, I'll make a 10-year bet. Let's put a million dollars down. So the winner gets to choose where the million dollars of the loser goes to, the charity, right? Got to give it to charity. So put a million dollars on the table. You get to choose one investment. And in 10 years' time, the one who's made more money 
gets to spend the other's million dollar, right? The other million dollar. Who, who in for A hedge fund manager from Protege Partners, very, very successful hedge fund manager, said, we will absolutely win. We're going to invest in our own fund. Yeah. Warren Buffett said, fine. He says, I'm investing in the Standard & Poor's 500 index. So I'm just buying the whole US market. Yeah. And I'm just going to buy it in the lowest cost investment I can make. That was 2007. 2008, massive cratering, right? Warren Buffett's investment goes down a huge amount. There's protege partners. One sort of goes down a little. And then over the next 10 years, slowly, slowly, slowly. Anyway, the guys at protege partners gave up in year eight. Warren Buffett was so <laughs> far ahead that they gave up, gave him a million dollars, and it went to so girls' charity in his hometown. But basically, Warren Buffett did nothing other than just invest money in the market, pay the lowest fees, and let compounding interest work for him. And that was, and that was more successful than the bunch of guys who thought they were way smarter investors, charging much higher fees and so on. So, you, you, time is your friend in investing. If you mm. are patient, and you um, dollar cost sort of, if you just save regularly, let compounding interest, dollar cost averaging work for you, and you do it in a diversified investment you will win. That's how you get rich. But it's the tortoise versus hare strategy. Here's the problem with it, Rebet. Our industry loves generating noise. They all want to be the hare or the rabbit. But the tortoise is the person who wins in our industry. And that's just boring, right? So, yes. so, so and, and they don't want to work in a boring industry. So money is incredibly simple. And successful investing is incredibly boring. In fact, Warren Buffett says, you should almost be criminally negligent with your investments. Put them on, set a strategy, oh, yeah. forget about it, right? Don't yeah. don't look at it. So I'll give you give you an example right now. I am not looking at where the financial markets move. I'm not interested because I know that our portfolios are very well set. They're very diversified. Yep. They'll do You're okay. Trading, yeah, that's true. But all all you do is get emotional, and you get caught up in the hype. You know, so um, you know, and most people money should they should they should think about money very seriously at certain points in their life. But otherwise, they should just get on with their get on with their lives, because um, all all our industry wants you to do is to trade and give activity, so they can charge you a fee to do so. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Stevie Chadwick says, "I love the social housing fund that idea." So yeah, yeah. I, I look, I'm super excited about that. I actually think, I mean, I'm talking a little bit out of school here, but I'd like to it to be incredibly high quality, incredibly low cost housing, and I think we can do that. Yeah, um, totally. Do you know Stevie? Mm, um, she's uh, the engineer no. down there. Yeah, I'll have to introduce no. her. She's uh, awesome. Love to meet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolute weapon. Um, there, my buddy um, Nick Dalton's doing a big um, uh, Rotoma, a big hotel, um, awesome, crazy um, complex there, but all multicultural design. It's pretty amazing. Yeah, uh, awesome. Jeremy Spate says, uh, Sam, where do you think the infrastructure spend will be focused? Mm -hmm. Well, that's a great question. Um It, it, it's going to be interesting. I mean, I, a lot of it in transport still because that's where the – I don't see New Zealand's population shrinking. I see us only having more population pressure at the end of this. People are going to make it, you know, lifestyle decisions about what they want to do in the world. So I think our population increases. That puts the most pressure on transport infrastructure. So I think that's where a bunch of it will go. The really difficult one that's going to need a huge amount of money or two areas actually that will need a huge amount of money. One is hospitals. Government has just admitted that 
$14 billion is needed for hospital refurbishment. That's just existing buildings, not new ones. And the second one is what they call the three waters, making sure that we have a constant supply of fresh water, storm water, and sewage. Because a lot of the pipes under a lot of the big cities in this uh, country are getting seriously old now. I mean, Wellington had to switch on some 100-year-old pipes the other day to stop sewage uh, leaking into the harbour. So that's going to be a Now, that's really boring, but really necessary. Mm. So I think those are the three things, roads, water infrastructure, and hospitals. So we're back to basics almost in, in many respects. It's like, let's, mm. let's reset it. Hospitals, people, infrastructure, yep. transportation. Yep. Yep. And no well, one, I think, is going to question it, right? It makes sense. I think so, but it's where the money comes from. So mm. part of it will come from KiwiSaver, but we're not going to have all, you know, we're not the solution, the entire solution. Part of it will be higher taxes. Here's the third thing, though. The government's going to have a serious look at some of its planned spending, I think particularly in defence. You know, I think us spending money on warships, planes, all those sort of things, which are multi-billion dollar commitments, I'm going to find that very, very hard for any government to justify. Because I think yeah. the interesting thing about this, Robert, is we're going to find it as a real enemy is not, people the real enemy is, is 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 viruses and the real enemy is cyber attacks and you know this the, the the old old idea of concept of warfare which is that you know you gear yourselves up to fight other people is increasingly becoming an anachronism the world has fewer and fewer wars not more and more fewer and yeah. fewer people die in warfare every year and yet we have viruses, bugs, cyber attacks, all those sorts of things. So re redefining what constitutes defense and, 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 and you know, preparation, for, you know, who, who and what can attack us. And therefore, one of the really nice things about that, of course, is that plays into the whole tech industry, particularly with cyber warfare. Yeah. Spending money on health is always a good thing. So, yeah, so, so there'll be some re-diversion of dollars from the government and there'll be some, you know, serious investment from people like ourselves. I think they're saying within the next two years, tech will be the second biggest export in New Zealand, yet the, oh, um, the investment side, I think, totally. doesn't even uh, reflect that at all. Uh, Sandy Bowen says, totally. Sam, as a simplicity customer and appreciator of the nonprofit approach, can you please use your experience and knowledge to provide curriculum for teaching our kids about investment and economics relevant mm -hmm. to New Zealand, as it has been really, yeah. really sad to read commentary on social media of a lot of New Zealanders who simply don't understand it. Oh, Financial literacy, eh? Yep. Financial literacy, yeah, it's an, it's an old chestnut, that one. And look, we're, look, we're, we're big into the you know, fence at the top of the cliff rather than ambulance at the bottom. Here's the interesting thing about it. I think the uh, the finance industry is is just horrible the way they've done this. You know, if you think about the amount of money that's spent on marketing via fancy billboards with happy families and, you know, really telling you nothing, educating you not at all, just trying you to, to get you to buy a product. Um, so I think the finance industry has been its own worst enemy here. But although, to be honest with you, the finance industry, to be, well, cynical, I guess, but it's also realistic. The finance industry doesn't want you to know about money because I'll, mm. I'll tell you the truth about money. Money is incredibly simple. But bet if I sat down with you in 15 minutes, I could tell you everything you need to know about money. There's only five or six things you really need to know well, to get on top of it and understand it. Give, it's give way the, simple. Give me the tweet. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It's way simple and way easy. But here's the problem, is that the more you know, the less you'll spend with the finance industry. The fewer products you'll buy, the more you'll be focused on paying the lowest fees. All of that stuff is bad for the industry. So it's not that the finance industry doesn't have some really cool people in it. It does. They're really nice. You know, They're my mates and all that sort of thing. But the industry is hardwired. It's the second most profitable industry in New Zealand. Sometimes it's the yeah. most profitable. 
And the reason for that is, is that it sells you expensive, complex products, and it wants you to buy these things. Credit cards, payday loans, all these sort of things are all high, high margin stuff. But if you actually sat down and you ran your life in order to get on top of the money, money, understand it, make it work for you, you'd make some very, very simple decisions. And you would be very informed very quickly. So the financial literacy thing that you're talking about, that is about telling people the simple truths about money. The industry is not going to do that because it is bad for business. So the people who need to do that will be charities or the government or the education system. And I just think it's insane that we have a primary and secondary school system that doesn't teach kids about money well enough when we know that money is the number one cause of divorce, number one cause of depression, number one cause of suicide. Money problems are what screw up people's lives. So you know, let's build the fence at the top of the club. We'll do our bit, but, you know, we're only one small actor in a in a big game here. Have you, do, have you done a book about the old stubs? You mean about the old investment banker? The old banker, stubs, right? like, yeah, like the, you know, secrets, <laughs> from, secrets from a ex-banker, mm. a newly it'd be, reformed. It'd be a pretty boring book, mate. It just, <laughs> it, uh, my life hasn't, you know... I've had a rich and lovely life, but by most New Zealanders' standards, it's a pretty ordinary one. Right? Just a West Auckland boy that got lucky. Yeah. Or sin, sin on 1.5 billion, yeah. a, 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 you know, jump change. Uh, Lorraine says here, uh, any advice for buying and or selling property over the next few months given the situation currently? Mm. Fair call. Yep. Yeah, it's going to be tough. Isn't it? It's interesting when we just made our first mortgage, actually. Um, we're now the, we've got the, we're the cheapest mortgage lent. Yeah, cheapest mortgage in the countries. Yeah, so we're now lending to our members to buy their first homes. So you told me about this a while uh, ago, so it finally came. Yeah, through. yeah, awesome. no, yeah. No, we we did it last week. First one is at two point eight percent floating rate. So <laughs> well, by far the cheapest mortgage. And here's the interesting thing: is our members make more money because that money that we're lending on mortgages, we would have otherwise put in the bank and got one percent on it. So our members are making almost three times the money. The people borrowing the money are paying way less than they would. The only people who lose are the banks, right? The banks aren't sitting in the middle. Um, I keep, so we I just keep telling you, man, every time I, I see stuff, I, I, I text you, I'm like, bro, you're going to need security soon, man. They're going to be coming. <laughs> like, it's, it's out of control. No, it's really cool. Well, we've got, we've got 300 people in the queue now, so 300, 300 acceptances. So, so you know, we'd just love to carry on uh, lending to, to first home buyers. You know, that's where the money's most needed. And you yeah. know what? You know, you say 1% on a $500,000 mortgage. Man, that's that's five thousand bucks a year of after tax income, right? That's like another eighty dollars a week in your pocket. It's, a pay rise. it's, it's like yep. a, it's like a pay rise of seven thousand dollars. It's amazing. So, and and everyone wins except the banks in that one. So, property, it's a super super interesting question. I just don't know, and I tell you why because I have two massively different feelings. On the one hand, economy is going to slow down, not as much money, not as many jobs. That has got to be bad for property. But on the other hand, what's the alternative? Because interest rates will be so low. If you were an investor and you said, I'm not going to invest mm. in property because it's going down, I'm sitting in the bank and I'm getting nothing. So, you know, property's relative attractiveness hasn't gone down. Yeah. It depends what game As you an investment class. With strategy, right? Yeah. And, and, and you're going to be able to borrow a lot, you know, first home residential mortgages are the safest form of lending a bank does. If they're going to lend on anything, they'll do that. So, 
I honestly don't know. Uh, I think it's mm. going to be fascinating to see. Like most yeah. of these things, property doesn't fall a lot in the bad times. It's just that it's the the, the velocity, the volume slows down. Mm. People don't buy and sell, so you don't. So it's not the values collapse; it's just that liquidity collapses. And it's going to be not a necessarily a bad thing. No, yeah, totally. And I think the 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 main difference too is because this is a medical medical thing. If everyone's back rolling around in in four six <coughs> weeks, that's one thing. If it's oh. four six months, it's another. That changes the market's dynamics quite quite a bit. Um, and and you know what, Robert? Let me put it this way: Has that you're in San Fran right now, right? Yep. Has this issue made you feel better or worse about New Zealand relative to other places in the world? Well, considering I didn't take the the, the flight that I was going to take, um, mm. it may, it, from the optics of what's happening in America at this very second to New Zealand, New Zealand is looking better and better by the day. Yeah. And I think that's a global phenomenon. Mm -hmm. I think if you have a look at Queenstown or Arrowtown right now, you see how many people have got a bolt, bolt hole in New Zealand doesn't matter how tough the government makes it in terms of residential buying of property and visas and so on. If there is more demand than supply to live in New Zealand, it's going to be good news for us. Yeah. And 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 I think that, um, so I think New Zealand, the other silver lining is New Zealand is, and remember everything, Rebecca, and particularly the money is a relative game, right? So will New Zealand be relatively more attractive as a country to invest in, live in, visit or whatever? After all this, I think it will. I mm. think, you know, there are going to be, I hate to say this, but there will be winners and losers from this. Yeah. And I think so we're I, going to be a winner. Yeah. And if we can, so I had a mini prediction thing I said the other night. I'm keen for your thoughts on it. So my take was if New Zealand, if you look at the, the what's happening in the States and, and, and <clears> Europe and, and the rest of it compared to New Zealand, if New Zealand is good boys and girls and everyone stays home and does their flipping thing and we can get back rolling and if New Zealand becomes, you know, can can beat it, flatten the curve, become open for business mm -hmm. as, as the world and, and the next, you know, couple of months, um, everyone else kind of get locked down. The second we're back for business and if everyone else is potentially shut around the world, wouldn't that make New Zealand a potential um, a, a, a gold rush of of businesses trying to set up their offices and stuff down here to get back mm -hmm. get back kicking off because we can move around yep. and then and then just from the dynamics of the year we'd be then coming into summer and we hit September October and and they've had a shit show in the northern hemisphere about to go into winter and they've been had a bit of a gong show over summer I'm surely the escapism piece would be perfect to, to make a trip down to, to <laughs> get away and finally do it so yep. I was kind of thinking yeah yeah gold rush of potential um, virtual offices and businesses that want to get back back rolling that would also mean because of the um, immigration stuff surely they would be hiring New Zealand people talent a lot of a lot of tech mm -hmm. different talent um, staffing and then to do it and so that was kind of my take so it was more just if we can be really good boys and girls and sit at home and do our flipping thing the actual outside of this could mean a whole bunch more global business to the economy and, and potentially a massive yeah. uh, tourism spike after it clears up I don't know is that, it, no, no, no. Well, kind of right? no, no, no. I think you're absolutely right. And I'll, I'll add a few other things into that. Right? Culturally, yeah. culturally, if people so let's use an example, you're 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 next, you're close to Silicon Valley right now, right? Yep. You've got a Silicon Valley company that's sitting there. They have never before encountered a physical shutdown of their environment. Mm. They don't get that world, right? They they think, oh shit, we're a virtual business, but we've been stymied by the fact that we don't have physical people who can interact. They're going to set up a branch office somewhere else in the world. You're going to see businesses all around the world setting up BCP offices. Now, look at New Zealand. 
boy, this is where it starts to get really interesting. English is a first language, huge tick. Rule of law, massive tick. Lack of corruption, lack of big tick. Global time zone, perfect for straddling the whole of Asia. Yep. Um, uh, tick, right? Um, um, tech infrastructure, good. Not great, but certainly, but but good, good enough. Um, talent pool, well, you and I know that a coder down here is half the price of Silicon Valley. So suddenly, if you're looking around the world and say, where can I safely set up another branch office? Oh, and by the way, place I want to visit and come skiing on a business trip, tick, right? Place yeah. to send my highest value employees to as a, as a, like a boondoggle or a career enhancer or, you know, you, you want to set up a family, have young kids, here's a place where you can work and live yep. and have a quality of life. You know, all of that stuff, all of that stuff that's made New Zealand way more, way wealthier and way more attractive in the world than it deserves to be. Look, look at New Zealand. We're at the end of the world, we're an agricultural economy. In theory, we should not be as rich and as prosperous as we are. But for all of those things that I've said before, and we are, and those will, will I think, well, what I hope, I think you're right, is if we get on top of this and show ourselves to have been responsible, you know, uh, um, and get a great outcome, we're going to be even more attractive. Yeah. And, 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 and you see that initial, you know, fear, everyone rushes home. But, man, I, yeah, I, I think you're going to see, um, I think it's going to be, that's the other silver lining. Yeah. You know, if um, we play it you, right. you, well, I think it's almost going to happen all by itself because. All of those things I talked about, you know, rule of law, lack of corruption, good tech infrastructure, they're already here. You know, you, you don't have to – that's not a bet or a gamble. You don't have to invest a lot of money or take a big bet there. That's just the way we are. Mm. And the way we are, I think, is going to be ever more attractive to New Zealanders. If you want to see what New Zealand could be like, just go down to Queenstown. And I know Queenstown's having a really tough time from a tourism point of view now. It would take a while to recover. But look at all the people who moved down to Queenstown or have that as one of their bolt, bolt holes. These are, you know, globally very wealthy, very talented people. That's where they f want to be for part of their lives. Now, yeah. I, you know, I don't want to create an us and them environment and have us as their servants. But at the end of the day, it just it's a very interesting bellwether as to how attractive New Zealand can be. John Key was right when he said New Zealand could be the Switzerland of the South. It yeah. really could, you know? Yeah. Um, Nick was saying uh, New Zealand will be the top five in OECD for fiber access, currently 10th. Really? And the, wow. Okay. And the back of that says uh, Warwick Isaacson, uh, what are some other ways you see New Zealand pivoting to a better new normal from Warwick? I think, yeah, that's an interesting one. I think one of the ways we're pivoting is we're going to re realign. I think that this will be a global phenomenon, but we're going to realign um, to, you know, I, I think addressing what I what I would call are the just the real priorities, the priorities that a younger generation wants. So I think we're going to be a little bit more humane. There'll be a lot more money spent. It's obvious medical research, but also you know our, our general well-being. Likewise, I see more money spent on education as well because this is an education thing as well. Less money spent on defence. Um, I suspect that we're going to end up with a social welfare system which is a lot simpler. My bet would be that Grant Robertson right now, I mean, it's been reported that he is looking at a universal basic income. Oh, that I, would be big. Uh, I, I suspect we're going to end up with something like that um, because 
if you think about what he's doing now, that's effectively it. You know, when he's offering wage subsidies, helicoptering money into the economy, there's not a big difference from that because it's a pretty universal wage subsidy, right? You're either getting a benefit or you're getting a wage subsidy. Now, the government can't afford it, clearly long-term, so the universal basic income is not going to be a reason to do nothing and it's not going to be a huge amount of money. But it might dramatically simplify the benefit system in New Zealand Hmm. and it might be compensated via a, a higher GST or sales tax to help pay for it. I suspect that this will lead to a simplification of, I think New Zealand already operates as a pretty simple, easy to understand economy and government sector, but I think this simplifies things even further um, because it's going to work. You know, I think I th- we are going to come out of this and um, having people operating on the understanding that they can exist with a minimum basic income regardless of their circumstances is probably a nice way to be. Now, we've sort of done that, right? Because you either work or you get unemployment benefit or sickness benefit or whatever. Yeah. But, but just saying, okay, listen, here's an amount of money. And think, think what that does for students, for example. You know, you can borrow against it. You know it's going to be there. You can smooth out these cash really flow lumps you have in life. They'd yeah. Probably, yeah. There'd probably be more people chasing their actual passions and not stressed about money Maybe. from the parents or doing stuff they want. I mean, if, if I was a young buck, that, that that hurdle wouldn't necessarily be there. I mean, do you think... So I was talking to... Um, we had... Uh, but in mind, Clive Omerod, who's the CEO of uh, Les Mills on earlier today, and he was yeah. saying that with all this stuff, the strategy didn't change one bit. All that happened is it sped up the process to go into execution mode of probably what they wanted to do in year two or three. <laughs> and yeah. so I kind of yeah. I kind of wonder, and similar thing, I've got a, um, a couple of friends in the banking sector, he's saying the same thing, like like a, the strategy doesn't change. And if anything, it just it has just brought, taken it from three years to three weeks. Of like, okay, mm. we're going to do this thing mm-hmm. right now. So it, in many ways, it's actually, um, it's forcing innovation and speed and, and, and I'm calling it like a new New Zealand, I guess. Um, and that's got to be kind of ex- yeah. kind of exciting, right? Like, I mean, you've probably seen it from 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 both sides of it, but still in, in the communities. Where do you think the biggest, what's the biggest danger for communities with Corona? Like, what do you think the biggest, the biggest risk is mm. for the people? It's interesting, isn't it? Because look, I'm an old guy, Robert, as you can tell, right? So not in my that world, old, we, not that old. Well, well, old, old, new, look, we romanticize my generation. We romanticize face-to-face contact, right? It's mm. not what the young generation do. I look at my we, kids. They, they have as much just... of a social. Yeah, they have as much of a social life as I ever did. They just have it online, and we moan about that. Like my parents moaned about me watching television. Television was going to ruin my life as well, right? So when I think about what the problems are. I'm not actually sure that we're not getting into a, a whole new level of socialization, which is actually very beneficial for a whole lot of people. It's all very well talking about social face-to-face contact, but you look at an old-age pensioner who's sitting there alone. Suddenly, they've got a community via an iPad that they never had before and mm. someone who cares about them and who cares whether they, it comes across in the form of FaceTime rather than real-time. So I think the the... I think the way that communities change, when you think about our business, we're 100% online now. We're already starting to talk about, you know what, when we come back, let's not be in the office for five days a week. Let's be in the office for three days a week. Yeah. You know, let's be at home for four days a week. Or, you know what, I'm going to buy that place outside of Auckland because I'll just commute in for three days a week. You know, mm. so I think people are going to 
in their own ways work out kind of how they want to live. Because I've always looked at the traffic over the Harbour Bridge in Auckland and said, how crazy is it? We have all this technology available to us, all this money, and for some reason we feel the need to waste an hour and a half of our lives in traffic. Why? Because we all feel this pressure to be in one place at one time. This is just dumb. This is just stupid. This is not when, and if we had to do it, I get it, right? If we had to go and kill bison to eat by going over the Harbour Bridge because there's no other way of eating, but that's mm. not how an awful lot of us have to live. So I think that this now will empower people to think differently about yeah. how they organize their lives. And I think that's going to be a fantastic thing. I think. You know, if I'm the mayor of Matamata or Rotorua right now, I would expect to have more people knocking on my door saying, you know what, we actually want to live here mm. and we'll work there. Yeah, so there's something in the, So I was talking to uh, Jolly Hodson of <coughs> CEO of Spark last, last week and I said, how, how much of the old world do you think is going to come back when we switch back into it? Or how much of the new do you think mm. people might like remote working and they might want more mm. of these virtual sort of hangouts? People are now, they're used to Microsoft Teams. They understand Slack channels. And then and then all of a sudden mm. from a business perspective, if, if you're, you know, and not to go down the commercial real estate route, but if you're looking at a business and exactly like yourself, now that you're virtual, you don't need an office. So how many other people no. may not need an office and how much space mm. will come up? I, I'm wondering if investors will go from potential commercial res, uh, real estate to potentially more residential because even in, in, in times like this and if it was the future, maybe they Possibly. still need a house, right? Yeah, that's going to – I'm I'm hopeful and I think we're both very optimistic about what that could be. I would just hate for slow, archaic businesses that have not leveraged technology, whether it be mm. – um, through through cloud and teams and hangouts and slack and whatever it may be in zoom and they go back to work and then it's like all right now we're having a meeting for a meeting and now it's all this facetime stuff <laughs> like i would hate to see it well, go back to that right well, like, i just I, can't yeah. yeah well i got some bad news for you oh, and, like, this is my this is my this is my fifth crisis right yeah and and in the other four <laughs> we were all around having conversations like this at about this time talking about how it's all going to be different now uh, it's not different it's not a but but things change yeah it's not that everything changes you may want everything to change things do change but we change incrementally as a species very rarely mm. do we up sticks and dramatically change the way it usually takes a revolution or a a world war or something massively but dramatic surely that's i don't this, think this right? is that dramatic no i don't think so no, I don't think so. I, I think this is, look, it's highly, highly unusual for the world to shut down for a period of time. It's just weird. No one's seen it before. <laughs> yeah, true. That doesn't, but, but different doesn't mean um, massive change. It just means yeah. it's different. So maybe in, you know, look, I said this at SARS. When I was at SARS, SARS again, middle of Hong Kong, everyone had gone, place is empty. Oh, my God, it's never going to be the same again. It'll take a generation. I'm already hearing this now depression, many, gen many, many, many years to put all those sort of things. I get why you're saying that, but actually what's happened is the world's shutting down for six or 12 weeks or however many weeks it is. It is not the end of the world. The sky yeah. is not falling in. It will be tragic because some people will die. Many people will die, yeah. but it doesn't appear to be as many people as they had initially feared. I mean, we'll wait and see. Is it a big deal? Of course it's a big deal, but is it a bigger 
is it a global depression? No. Ooh, we're way we're way off that yet. Yeah. Does everything change? Not so far. We're just all at home, aren't we? Yeah. So has every and what we've discovered is we've discovered Slack and Zoom, and we've discovered that you know what, a whole bunch of businesses can go on online anyway. I mean, a whole bunch can't. It's you know, it's really tough. But so no, change will be incremental from this, but positive, but positive. And 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 we you know, as as human beings, as a species, Robert, we're hardwired to learn. We're curious. Mm. We improve. I mean, I tell you what, if anyone wants to spend maybe the two best days of their lives, go and read Stephen Pinker's Enlightenment Now or go and watch a Hans Rosling TED Talk or go and uh, go and read uh, The Rational Optimist and find out how good, how much better the world is than it used to be. I mean, I'm reading this Stephen mm. Pinker one right now. Bill Gates calls, call, called it uh, his new favorite book ever. And oh, then wow. that's a huge endorsement because I don't know anyone who reads more than Bill Gates, right? Yep. It is a stunning book about basically how the world is improving. We will mm. come out of this a vastly improved place. And what I'm really what I'm really looking forward now is, you know, I have a lovely view of the Hauraki Gulf from my house. I see too many warships going past there and I think those things are there's some really nice people on those, but I'd rather those people were doing aid work. I'd rather they were, you know, in this case, discovering the new vaccines or whatever than sitting around on the off chance that they may have to shoot at somebody one day. And I yeah. know they're fancy toys and lovely toys to look at, but that is not a good spend of my tax dollar. And it's not a good use of their skills and talents either. Besides half the warships in New Zealand, I mean, they're never fit for purpose, right? They can never handle the, uh, the Southern Ocean, but but they always yeah. end up spending a fortune on stuff that doesn't float properly. But the... the, the um, so there's going to be a realignment of national priority, and I think that's fantastic. Yeah. You know, more money in health, more money in education, people are a little bit more compassionate about each other, people are appreciative for the simple things in life. I mean, I don't know about you, mate. It feels to me like the world's taking a breath at the moment. Oh, dude. Hun I mean, right. I'm going harder than usual because of all this shit, but, dude, I fully agree. It's a pause. And, and and imagine all those snapper out on Goat Island right now. They're saying, shit, I can take a holiday. I can swim anywhere in the Gulf and no one's going to catch me anymore, right? So they're going to go and, you know, shag off bloody Rangitoto and have little yeah. snappers running around and all that. So, you know, so the whole the whole world is – and the Tui have been noisier in the trees around here than they've been for quite a while. So, you know, we're going to learn we'll, – we'll learn some stuff from this. It'll be incremental, but it'll be nearly overwhelmingly positive. Mm. Yeah, I, I think – we're both on the same thing. We're always, always the optimists. Would you ever go into politics? No, mate. I've been asked several times. Really? and Yeah. And I've always said no. It's too because gnarly, I don't. Eh? Um, well, the selfish part of me doesn't like the lifestyle. It's six and a half days a week of hard work. I don't want to go into a job <laughs> where. <laughs> You've already done banking, mate. Yeah, I get it. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's not the hard work. And I, I, don't want to, I don't want to go into a job where half the people instantly hate me. Not for yeah. who I am, but just just for whatever party. And also, quite frankly, I don't think I can make as big a difference as, as I can here. I, you know, we're yeah. we're putting already putting fifteen million dollars a year into the hands of our members and fee savings. Already giving away seven hundred and fifty thousand a year now to charity. Um, and if we can do this stuff in in houses, social housing, and 
you know, if we can influence policy with a checkbook, and we're doing stuff like diversity in the boardroom, you know, we've got JVs going with universities now to get more diversity in the boardroom. We're about to start a big thing on CEO pay with another university. So I think we can affect more change um, this way. You know, when you mm. have billions of dollars, you have a voice, right? Sure, yeah. You talked about that. I, yeah. I still remember you saying, yeah, we, you get into those Bs and people start taking more of that time to, to actually okay. listen because you start, can start flexing, you start buying some hospitals, you start making some plays. Well, it's kind of you like, know, you, yeah. You, yeah, you can make shit happen. And, yeah. and, and you know, smart people go with people who make, like you, yeah. go with people who make stuff happen, right? Get, well, I'm just like, let's just, Create and knock shit out. Repeat. Next, just bam, bam, bam. Just keep going, go. Um, so, if if you were, um, where do you see simplicity in ten years? You're talking about this 2030 number. Um, you're talking about the fifty, the the two hundred yep. billion. Well, the, here's the BHAG. I think we'll be the biggest financial institution in New Zealand. Oh, there we go. Okay, and, okay. And... I'll get the, you get the hit <laughs> off for that one. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and. Um, we will uh, we'll have twenty to fifty billion dollars that we're looking after uh, for our members on behalf of hundreds of thousands of members, and we will be invested in a huge range of stuff. But all of that stuff we talked about beforehand will be the largest residential landlord in the country. We'll own some hospitals and schools and stormwater and sewage, but we'll have a lot of investments overseas as well because diversification is that free gift we talked about. We will have helped effect change in the boardrooms of New Zealand by having them way more diverse and representative of their customers and representative of the modern New Zealand. We'll have the people working in those businesses fairly paid because, you know, it's um, um, expensive salaries force good decisions, expensive capital forces good decisions. So highly paid people will be more productive. And, you know, we will will help, you know, forge a more, you know, representative social democracy. And, and that will be with really good returns. By the way, you know, it, simplicity is a dignity company. We've talked about this before, right? We, yeah. we want to give people dignity. And how you do that is you give them choices. And how do people have choices? They have more money. Money, man. Money matters. <laughs> yeah. So money gives you choices, gives you dignity. So all of this is designed to make our members wealthier. And it's working. So... You know, a lot so of people dope. think that you, you can either make money or you can do social good. That's bullshit. You can do both. Yeah. And you can do both. And in fact, the more you do of one, the more you can do of the other. They're actually self-reinforcing. Back in the old days, it was, you know, people or profit. Yeah. Not, not now. Not now. Because people are too smart. People know they spend money with companies who's aligned with their values. They work for companies that align with their values. They understand, you know, they're just smarter. And, yep. and so, yeah, so so that's what will be. It's actually pretty simple, to be honest with you. It's just, you know, it's just, there's no new ideas there. It's just, just time. The, the, the right, well, you know, and, and, and being a nonprofit owned by a charity helps because we never make a short term decision, we make a long term decision. And, um, we get the very best people. I mean, our team are amazing. Yeah, and we've got 50 seven volunteers now as well so you know and these are all professional services people these are the best the best in the country um helping from stephen tyndall you know yeah. all the, you know there's heaps of people and um uh and they all get it they get that we can affect a really large scale um impact here 
and it's a momentum thing right as well and it changes it it, mm-hmm. that, it builds man moment to moment to movement my friend moment to movement yeah 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 well we we spend well we have a small marketing budget but it is small you know mm. our cost customer acquisition costs in our business about one tenth of the average we just like people to talk about us yeah yeah but you, your your social game just gets like Oh mate, it's so good. Like you just go hard yeah, on it's it. Really, it's just, <laughs> yeah. I've told you I'll help you, bro. It's it's epic. Yeah, I, know. I love it. And, I love and, it. And, and it's a serious competitive advantage because it's what people want. Yeah. It's what people it's it's how people want their money invested. It's how they want, you know, the an institution like us to act. So yeah. we just it's just common sense, mate. There's no there's no genius in it at all. So absolutely I've, I've really appreciate your time my friend i know um thank uh, you you i know you're busy you got lots of shit on but I, I for for the audience who's who's rolling here i know that uh, plenty of your thoughts and insights are rad and i'll do that um intro return uh, you and you and stevie you can go and buy some hospitals yeah i'd love, some to. Caution I'd love to she's yeah she's epic wouldn't that be cool um all right well at the end of this when it's all done i'll come back over catch up for another beer again my friend it's um yeah. uh, awesome, awesome talking to you I really appreciate it my friend all right mate see you later later brother peace cheers bye what a good bastard it's the bro sam stubbs such a g um i've been lucky enough to call him a bro and he's helped me with a couple of things and just awesome seeing the growth like he's gone from i think 750 million about this time last year now he's rolling at the 1.5 he's going to go to 20 and just start flipping making it rain all over new zealand for new zealand is pretty awesome so um that was uh, sam stubbs uh, ceo of simplicity kiwi saver you can check it out at simplicity love the insights and just the, the thinking of the dude is just so good like you can when you can zoom out and set the way with you know kind of like chess i call it chess and he's definitely playing that with um but for the right reasons for a whole bunch of cool new zealanders so uh that's it for today uh i know you know you get into it i've been on lockdown uh, i've been in the states i've been on lockdown i think this is our third or i feel it's the third week and you sound think you're on day seven maybe uh, or no day five or six whatever it is um so it's going to be a long haul for the short and it's going to be painful now but as you can see if you listen to a whole bunch of stuff that he was actually talking about come to the end of it there's going to be a wave of positivity and potential awesomeness for the nation so be good girls and boys and stay at home don't stuff this shit up we can get get the country back rolling uh, if you've got someone else that you'd like uh, me to potentially uh, interview or you think would be um, awesome to help on the show uh, this is uh, more, more than happy to reach out and try and do it we've got a whole bunch of amazing more of my roller decks that are lined up to be able to um uh, come on the show and, and and the goal with it is very simple who's in my network what do they know that can help everyone else out there as well because there's a lot of people struggling right now there's a lot of people in situations that they haven't been beaten before and we want to talk about a whole bunch of that too so um cheers to everyone enjoy the rest of the day whiskey's been a banger drop today uh, i always got to give plugs to the whiskey so we'd say we had a what do we have a glendronic 12 on the money um peace team love your work I'm out.